Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. As usual, we've got the Upgrade Collective in the house as our live studio audience. If you'd like to be a member, go to OurUpgradeCollective.com and you get courses from me, my private mentorship group, dozens of calls, as well as a tight community. I'd love to see you there, OurUpgradeCollective.com. And today we are going to learn from uh, a friend, uh, just an incredibly interesting guy who's followed his curiosity all over the place from being an infantry soldier in the U.S. Army, hiking the Camino del Santiago in Spain, climbing the Himalayas uh, like I have, meditating with monks there and starting a few companies, Silicon Valley Investor, partner at Evolve VC, but probably most importantly, uh, he's written a book called Love Yourself. <laughs> I just blanked on it. Like, like your what depends on it? Love yourself like your life depends on it. And uh, this is a, a fantastic book about uh, what matters. And it turns out it's not money and it's not starting companies. And you've probably heard of him as well. His name is Kamal Ravikant. Kamal, welcome to Bulletproof Radio. Dude, that was a beautiful intro. I want to know this guy. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, you are uh, you are most welcome. And you're kind of an enigma. I mean, even the way you look, you look like an enigma. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got like this this cool hair and you're all you're all tan and and you're just you're you're not made out of the same fabric as most people, which is like we got to talk on the air instead of just getting a, the rare occasional chance to connect. So why would you, as a you know, successful, financially successful Silicon Valley VC, I'm kind of making fun of myself too a little bit there. Why would you write a book about loving yourself? <laughs> no, it's a damn good question because I, had, I wrote this kicking and screaming. I did not want to write this book. You know, I, I, t- I say this thing jokingly sometimes. Like, look, if you want to learn how to talk to women, you don't go to Brad Pitt and say, hey, teach me how to talk to women. You know, because Brad Pitt walks in a bar, end of story, Right. You want to go to the Danny DeVito looking guy and say, and who's actually with a beautiful woman that he loves, who loves him, and say, how do you talk to women? So I was the Danny DeVito loving yourself. I did not believe, this was not something I thought of. I believed in, I didn't even believe in the word of love, you know. Um, I was more of a doer, you know, like, look, when I was 18, I went to college on a full scholarship, dropped out, joined the army. I, you know, <clears throat> I climb mountains, I build companies. I look at myself as a doer, like a Silicon Valley, like efficient, like let's build companies, get stuff done, doer. And then in 2011, this company I was building, uh, and this was one I'd self-funded myself. And as you know, it's a whole different game ballgame ball when you self-fund your company. And for th- I'm doing right? it right now. I know, yep. I know. So you know, you know that game. It's a whole different level of stress. And I self-funded, I built it. It was doing quite well three years later. And I'd run out of all my life savings by then because, you know, building a tech company is not cheap. And, um, and then I took out some funding and the whole thing exploded and I lost everything. Like I was living off, here I was, I'd done well. And now all of a sudden I was living off, making payroll off credit cards, you know, living off credit cards, having to shut down my company. And now like, what am I going to do? And in that process, I kind of fell apart. Because my whole identity was my company. My whole identity was my success. My whole identity was what I, how I appeared to my peer group, you know, Silicon Valley. And I fell apart in there. And so I hadn't taken a big, like a day off in three and a half years. 
I got really sick. Doctors couldn't figure it out. I was, I was miserable. Like misery was a good day. I was, you know, um, suicidal, you, you know, the works. And it was one night. Um, and also one of my best friends died. <laughs> it was just like a whole bunch of things happening. And one night I was just like, you're like laughing about it now. Yeah, but laughing about it now. Ago, right? But, but the, the irony of like of all the fit hitting the Shan at the same time. Yeah, okay. I love how you put it. Yeah, the fit hitting the Shan. <laughs> um, I'm going to use that and credit you. Uh, and there was one night I was just like on Facebook and I was looking forward to my friend and I was crying and I was really missing her. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be this misery anymore. I'm like sick of myself. And I just staggered over my desk. I was so low energy and I, I have a journal. And I wrote a vow to myself, and I'm a huge believer in the power of personal commitment. I think any success I've had in life is because of that, because I will just commit and I will be like a bulldog. I will go at it until it's solved, resolved, or it is it. You know, that's, that's something I've trained myself to do. And, then, and I just wanted to write down something, and instead what came out was a vow. Now, a vow is the ultimate personal commitment, you know, marriage vow, whatever, and a vow to oneself, I think, is, is, a, is a vow to yourself and life itself, or whatever you believe in itself. And this vow came out, and what I wrote was, it was a vow to love myself, and the vow itself is in the book, and it was, you know, like, long, long, longer than what I'm telling you. And I remember writing it, and, and it was, I wrote it so hard, like, in this moment of passion, and I sat back and thought, where did that come from? One. Second, I was like, oh, shit, I just made a vow. Third, oh, shit, I don't know how to keep this vow. Like, I had no idea how to love yourself. So I was kind of locked up in my apartment. I was living in San Francisco at the time and, and south of Market. And I just started, like, sitting around trying to figure out how to love myself because I made this vow. And I was miserable anyway. I had nothing going on, no job, no company, like, nothing going for me. Rent's due next month, credit cards, you know. And so I started trying to figure it out. And I just worked on my mind. And, I, you know, I have enough – I have a degree in biology, so I've studied enough neuroscience to be dangerous, you know. And – and I just started working on the mind and what actually really helped is the heart, you know, and started doing things inside. And I noticed that whatever made me feel better, I went further down. If it didn't feel better, I stopped it. Or if it made me feel better for a while, but it stopped, I just threw it out. I just cared about one thing, which was feeling better through this, through this vow that I made of, of loving myself. And within a few weeks, things had really shifted. I was actually walking around, starting to feel it. I was in a completely different state of mind. And within a month, my life had changed just by doing this. And what was so fascinating was all I did was work on myself. That was it. And so, and so what I, after that, I, I, um, there was a friend of mine who had been a co-founder of a previous company of mine who was going through a hard time, you know, the usual startup grind. And I was like, no, no, dude, don't worry about it. I figured it out. So I wrote up a quick thing and sent it to him. And I sent it to a few friends, and it really helped them. And so they were all like, and then one friend convinced me to write it down. And what a lot of people don't know is while I was building companies for over a decade, I was training myself to be a literary fiction writer. I studied the greats obsessively, took writing workshops, you know, went to Stanford, did courses there, all this, just starting to be a writer. And I thought I was going to write the great American novel, you know, like the one you study in colleges or whatever, right? That was my dream. That's still on my list. <laughs> yeah, just to be, I have like four New York Times bestsellers. None of them have like, like 6,000 reviews like yours, but... You know, uh, still the, a non a, a fiction book is a whole different a ball of wax, wax right? And you've done it. <laughs> I have, I have, and that was the training that gave me what it what it. It's interesting how life works. I set out to write the great American novel, but the first book I ended up working on was just to write down simply and true what I'd done, so that I could just pass it to friends. And end up, um, and as and almost as a dare from a friend, I self published on Amazon. I hid underneath the table 
And it went, took off. It became the number one self-help book on Amazon. And I'm the worst marketer in the world. I didn't market at all. And so, uh, you know that that's true. I, I, <laughs> I was like, before we, before we went live, I'm like, so where do I tell people to go? You're like, I don't really do my website. I haven't updated <laughs> that in forever. And I, all I do is a little bit of social media. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> you're, you're out to make the good stuff and just let people find it. Just I'll let it. Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, I should, I mean, my publisher would be happier, you know, Harper Collins would love me more, but yeah, we we both work with <laughs> Harper yeah. uh, they, they like it when you market. That's for sure. They do. They'll be very happy about this one. And so it took off. And like for seven years, that book, um, that's that, that book on its own, the self-published little book, sold over half a million copies. No marketing, right? Or six years. And then I, within those six years, I did something that that I didn't know any better because I didn't expect the book to do well. So I put my email address in the book at the back. I'm like, hey, if anybody gets questions, email me. And guess what? <laughs> I have like they did. tens of thousands of emails, right? Um, incredible emails. Like, I mean, break, and like, break my heart, make me feel good. Just amazing. People really poured themselves out. This book has helped them save their lives. But there were also questions because I never expected this book to take off. And so I really, I saw the pattern in the questions and I, and I know that I held back a lot. So seven years later, I was like, okay, now I'm going to write I've learned this. I've done this for seven years and I made a lot of mistakes and I want to share that all of that. So people have to make the same mistakes myself that I do because it's an internal thing. And let me really show them. So I spent a year working on it and then publish it with HarperCollins. When did you feel, when did you realize that you weren't alone in having hit the bottom the way you did? What a great question. I think when I started getting the emails from people, you know, cause when you're so about, it was after you wrote the book, you're feeling lonely. No, no, no. Like you put, I, I, I was doing great when I wrote the book. The book was to share okay. what got me there, you know? Got it. Um, so how did you start getting the emails? The day after I put it on Amazon without any marketing, I started getting emails. Okay. It was the first book, not, not the current yeah. one, but the, the, the very current one. Yeah. Okay. I got that's a lot more about. emails yeah. with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, it was, in fact, that's one of the reasons why I wrote this, because what people shared with me about their past, their childhoods, I was like, oh, shit, I need to let them know they're not alone. I need to tell them about mine. Not because I need the world to know what I went through, but I need the world to understand how I got through it and how I'm better through it. So they can, so someone can actually use that as a template. So that's a great question. And that, that was actually one of the main reasons why I wrote this. And it was very hard. There were things about my childhood I'm sure that like my mom doesn't know and I'm terrified she'll read the book and find out. <laughs> your mom hasn't read your book. Really. She keeps on saying, she's like, well, I'll only read it when you give me a personal copy. I'm like, Oh, I'll get to it. Mom, I'll get to it. I do a lot of hand waving. <laughs> you haven't signed a copy. My for poor your mother. My it. poor mother. Yeah. She's waiting for a personal copy and I'm terrified of her reading it. You know, uh, but that's such a great question. And it's like, it's so important to know we are not alone. It's like, it's um, years ago. I saw Maya Angelou speak. And she said something which I actually quoted in this book because it really helped me in writing this book. And she quoted a Roman poet. And she said, thousands of years ago, a Roman poet wrote, I am a human being, therefore nothing human is foreign to me. And when you realize that, you realize, especially when you're talking about the inner game, the inner game is the same for everyone. The scenery is different, right? The scenery is different, but the emotions, the feelings, the pain, the joy, the sorrow, the, the happiness, the heartbreak, everything is the same. We feel the same. So if you're sharing the inner game, you will connect with anyone through the end of time. You know, someone 100 years from now could read this book and be, you know, be affected by it and be better because of it. Or 100 years ago, you know, and that, that, was, that quote really helped me, you know. That's really, that's really cool. 
Do you really think people will be reading your book a hundred years from now? Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. That's awesome. I, I write my stuff to be timeless. Even my novel, which takes place in Spain, I wrote it in a way to be timeless. So I try not to have technology in there, much technology or whatever, or like uh, maybe a phone call. That's You're it. not mentioning yes. Twitter in your book. I'm not mentioning Twitter. <laughs> like, I actually do mention the Twitter in this one, uh, Twitter briefly in this one, because Twitter will be remembered for whatever it is, right? But yeah, on normally, for at least a hundred years. But normally, like, look, like you write about health and mindset. I read your books, man. Your stuff will be read hundred years from now. I, I really don't know. I, I didn't think we'd go here. You look at how fast things change, mm-hmm. and and I, I look at. I have a copy of Robert Atkins' book. Oh yeah, uh, his yeah. first book yeah, yeah. from nineteen seventy two, the year I was born. Wow. <laughs> by the way, guys, if you trust Wikipedia. Wikipedia doesn't know what year I'm born, and I can't edit my page. So screw you, Wikipedia. You're full of crap. Uh, anyway, that was a side uh-huh. note. But um, this book, if I'd have just if I'd have just known to read it, then I would have at least discovered half of the whole ketosis thing. He didn't get the fat thing, like the right amount types of fat and whatever. But it would have been a major clue when I was 16. Um, but that was only like whatever. 30, whatever, that was like 50 years ago. But there's books from the 1800s that are probably full of stuff, but none of us have heard of them mm-hmm. and we're not going to read them. And you go forward another 100 years from now and, well, you and I might still be alive and maybe it'll be different because we're still alive and <laughs> waving the flag. But, you know, if we weren't alive, like wouldn't the authors of the day have all the marketing and AI intelligence and all that stuff and just like, like people's attention gets taken to what's new and there's only probably point oh 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 one percent of books that have been written never hit that you read them a hundred years later that's a great um, point. So i, I kind of feel like I'll, I'll be i'll be completely forgotten 50 years after I'm i dead. don't think so man i don't think so. you, you, know? you affected a lot of us you i've known i've um, known about any about you for years before i met you thank you, you. really oh, let me look at what i'm drinking I'm holding up. Like, this, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's so cool, man. You that that be... actually really, that's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> no, really. Like, um, I think it's when you, I'm a big believer in sharing the truth. And I don't mean like, here's my dirty laundry truth, the emotional truth, the fundamental truth, you know, or your truth about what makes you better. So my, what I've been sharing about is like, what makes you better on the inside? You know, you do a lot of that with your work, but you also share what makes you better on the outside. I mean, in a sense, physically. When I say physically, that's outside. And as an inside, I'm in mind, heart. Okay. And that stuff, the basics for COVID, unless the human body changes, the basics are not going to change. You know? They don't. So, and, and often it's best to go to the source. I've been reading a lot of mystics lately. And you know yeah, what? Me too. You too, right? So I go to the source. Yeah. And you find like all, a lot of modern self help is just bastardization of all what these guys wrote. You know what these guys have known it for 5,000 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been around. There's nothing new that someone's on, on YouTube videos telling you. They're just putting a little modern words on it. In fact, it's better to go to the sources because it's purer. There's a purity it, to it. You know? It, it's kind of funny. Uh, a, a friend, Jay Shetty, who's been on the show, um, he got just yelled at uh, of a while ago. People were saying, oh, you know, you, you're saying something that was said before. And I think there was a time when there were a few direct quotes from someone on his team or whatever. But a lot of the time, any time you or I say some some common thing about self-help, there's a 90% chance that it's it's almost the same as something that was said 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 or 180 years ago because they're always true. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I hope I am saying something original here, but I have no idea. Do you ever run into that where you're sort of thinking, God, I hope I'm not accidentally quoting my answer yeah, 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 because yeah. I'm saying something yeah, obvious? Like, no, like, quote the poet, you know? Um, yeah. 
Uh, I do, and it's that is that is your job as a writer is to go for the truth and also in, in your original voice and your original thing. Like for myself, why does this book do so well? Look, it's a book on loving yourself. There's plenty of books on loving yourself. Your mom tells you to love yourself. Your grandma, my grand, you know, grandmother tells you to love yourself. But no one tells you how. What I did was I wanted to sit down and write the definitive manual. Here's the step-by-step, literally, here's the steps. And it's not taking bubble baths or whatever. It's all inner work, and it's easy. Look at me, the day yeah. Vito, and it's hard. Graphic. It is hard. It gets easier. But then, you know, once, once you start to feel it, you realize, shit, I was spending all that time in misery. I didn't even know it. You know, so much of our time, I think, in mental time is, is spent in suffering. And I don't mean, like, pain suffering. You know, that's a particular kind of suffering. But just... Most a lot of human reactive emotions are suffering, anger, jealousy, you know, whatever. Wondering someone thinks of you versus just walking around feeling good about yourself, you know, which is not a bad thing. And I don't mean that in a narcissistic way, you know. And like when you feel that way, when you walk in that way, you're better to people. Life is better to you. You got into this. I have to love myself. And, you know, you talk about the value you made yourself, but how much of the personal development masters did you go to in order to come to the realization there? Or was this like entirely the tech entrepreneur? It was, a human hack moment, myself? Man. It was just you being yourself. You didn't, you didn't go it was out a for human help. Moment. I didn't, I was too, I was in too dark a place to go for help. And maybe that was the saving grace that I had to figure out myself. You know, I was like, I was at bottom. So there's only one way to go. It, it's something that happens to people in leadership positions, right? Because everyone's looking at you. And it also, I think, happens to celebrities. I've known enough of them. To that. So if everyone's looking at you and you're the person who's supposed to have all the answers and you're like, I'm kind of, I don't know what's going on here. Where do you go for help, right? And the places you can go, what, you know, an executive coach, maybe a therapist. Did you do either of those no. along the way? Or they you were really, still too stubborn for that? It wasn't a thing then. This started becoming no, a thing after. It wasn't a thing then. In fact, yeah. I really thought when I put this book out that I was destroying my career. I thought I was going to be the biggest laughing stock. I would never get funded again. I called my brother. I was like, look, man, like I'm putting this book out. You know, I know you have a huge brand. I mean, he's got a bigger brand than that and, and tech. He's like, you know, he's like, do your thing. I don't care. You know, and, and I literally thought no one was going to buy it, which is why I put it out. And you know, the funny thing is now I run to CEOs and executives, like I'll be anywhere. I run to people like some pretty freaking impressive people that I would have thought would have like shunned me after that. And they're all like huge fans of the book. And it's really helpful. Amazing. When you're strong enough to be vulnerable, they respect you. Can you walk our listeners and our upgrade collective people who are live today kind of through the basics of the seven minutes? We don't have to take the full seven minutes, yeah, but, yeah. but step me through what's, what's in the book. Well, because the basic, I think that'll be a value to people. Yeah. yeah. Look, the basics start with the fundamental, like, look, you got to make a commitment. And I'll walk you through how, to, how I made my commitment. Here's how you can follow it. Because to do anything great in life, you got to make a commitment. And this is really worth it. Give it that month. Okay? Just give it a month. You have nothing to lose. It's just your thoughts that you're working on. Right? And, and then there's another exercise walking through, which is actually before you step in the future, you got to let go of the past. So it's a forgiveness exercise that I do, that I've done, that where I let go of things. Uh, whatever I'm carrying, the weight I'm carrying. It's all stuff I've come up with on my own, right? Just trying different things in my mind. And it really works. And then now, okay, you made your vow. You, uh, I'm sorry, you, you're forgetting yourself. And now you're ready to make the vow because now you have to step in the future. So you have to commit to make, commit that you're going to do this. 
Because don't do it. I mean, you're worth it. If you're reading this book, you're spending the 10 bucks or whatever, do this. And then the, the next step is actually, it starts with the internal work, uh, like this meditation, for example, it's seven minutes long. I put in, I put on a song. Uh, it's got to be instrumental. And the reason why the meditation seven minutes long, seven minutes long is when I started, the song I, just, I was using was seven minutes long. That's, that's the reason, right? And it's got to be instrumental and it's something that makes you feel good. So you're listening to so it. no M and M no M and M no no you know no Slim Shady you know like <laughs> no that would be fun right something that makes you feel good and and then so what I do is for those seven minutes I set a time I mean I don't need a timer because the song's a timer um, I feel light from coming in when I breathe okay I feel light and love coming in and then when I breathe out I just let go whatever needs to go that simple breathing in light and love letting go. I do this for seven minutes and your mind wanders. And that's the great thing about the song. After a while, your brain gets used to the song and knows when the song's coming to an end, when it's middle. You, you'll find your mind will say, oh my God, it's, I'm halfway through. If you're, if you're wandering, it'll go back into like the light and, love, light and love. And what happens is eventually, usually by the end, you're just like, you're breathing in love for yourself and you're letting out gratitude because you feel so good. And it's a state change. And it's, and you're, and it's, it's an internal state change that you carry with you. And so these exercises that I do throughout the day, which are kind of like that, which is just changing your inner state, feeling love for yourself, feeling light, letting go, whatever needs to go. That's all it is. There's no work beyond. There's a different exercises to do it, but that's kind of what it is. And it's a practice, you know, um, like, for example, like I'll pause throughout the day and I'll just do, do like 10 breaths just for 10 breaths. I'll do the same thing. It's just wiring, rewiring, wiring, rewiring this one core emotion and feeling until that starts to run more and more on its own. And the sad truth is, if you don't, if you stop doing it, your mind does go back. Your mind is, you know, the, your plasticity, there is that old stuff, old wiring, right? So you have to, you have to continue to working to make yourself better. And this gets in layers on layers. But what's really amazing is, it wasn't just me. I get so many people talking about the magic. They, they use the word magic in the emails. Uh, sorry, I'm sniffling here. Uh, the ma- the magic to see in their lives when this happens. Because like it's your inner self that's shifting. So it's all about shifting the inner self. So meditation, the meditation is just one hack. That I literally came up with because I was doing this and I just happened to listen to a piece of music and I thought, oh, maybe I can kind of like like connect my brain to that song. So every time I put that song on, my brain just goes through that state. You know? And it worked. It's a very easy, simple thing to do. Is, that is really cool, uh, really cool programming. Um, in fact, uh, some of the music that you hear at the beginning of the show is a tiny snippet from a song I've used like like that as well. If you would have told me when I was 25, oh, let light in from above, I'd be like, what the heck <laughs> are you talking about, brother? This is stupid. Like, you can't you just make an Excel spreadsheet and figure it out? You know, if you really want to be cool about it, you know, let's use semi-structured data. <laughs> and I'm not alone. You no, know, you're not mindset. alone. I've had conversations <laughs> like this with people. I know. Yeah. And now though, I, I would just laugh at myself and be like, you know, what an idiot. I should have listened to my elders because they would have, they would have taught me better if I wasn't so egocentric. But what you did is you didn't ask for help. You didn't go read a bunch of self-help books even. You're just, oh, I'll notice that there's light coming in and then I'll do that with this song. So that means you're wired differently than most people because most people without being told to look for light coming in, they uh-huh. wouldn't look for it because it shouldn't be coming in. So why are you wired different? That's a great question, man. Um, I'm insanely curious. I've always, since I was a kid, 
I'm always, I just want to figure things out. If, if I was told, like, don't touch the socket, guess what kid would be sticking his hand in the socket? That was me. And I still do that kind of stuff, right? Don't, you know, don't tell me don't do something because that's how you're going to get to do something, you know? And it's just you're wired that way. And I always want to figure things out. And I also had a very non-traditional background with Silicon Valley. I'm not an engineer, you know? I was, in, I was one of the very few people, at least at that time, maybe there's more now, who's actually served in the U.S. military. You know, who volunteered. You it's know? still pretty darn rare <laughs> right? for military people to come to Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to mentor, you know, some, there's like these special what, forces. Why did guys. you serve? I went to college for a year, had a full ride at the state school. I was pulled out of my mind. I was like, this is it. And I, I want, you know, I was an immigrant child and I, you feel like a responsibility to this country that's taking you in, you know, that you really feel like a sense of, um, you want to give back. And I thought, you know what, this is where I'm going to do. I'm going to give back. I'm going to go serve this guy. So it's my country now. I want to serve my country. So I left college and I joined the U.S. Army. And I was, I was an infantry soldier. And you know, as an 18-year-old, what a hell of an experience. You know, I turned 19 in boot camp in you know, Fort Benning, Georgia, in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> That'll put some hair on your chest, yeah, that's no for sure. Yeah, no kidding, man. It was no kidding. But, you know, you, you walk in at, as this boy. At 18, you are a boy. You walk out, you're still a boy, but you walk differently. You know you can handle whatever's thrown at you. That's what the military, that's what that gave me. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. There's some toughness that comes in there. Like, I've, I've had a chance to hang out. In fact, you've, you've been in the Himalayas. You met a lot of Israelis. When you're oh, my God. Place. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they all have to go in the military, yeah. and yeah. they all go travel in the Himalayas. They're all crazy. They They're all, off. like, doing all this crazy stuff. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> to- totally great. But they also don't have this kind of, like, hesitant fear that I see in a lot of people um, who haven't served in the military. I just haven't faced some tough stuff. So... Uh, I, I was talking with someone a while ago in personal development on an interview and, and he had asked the question, I think maybe I was getting interviewed and it was, you know, why, why do we have, you know, so much victim mindset and, and so much, you know, like participation trophies and all that kind of stuff. And I thought it's probably cause we haven't had a, a war in a while. And when we do, it's so compartmentalized. It is so compartmentalized. And I'm not, I'm not an ad, an advocate for having another war. I'm not a huge, you know, warmonger. Um, but I just know when society has to step up and, you know, you have to fight and realize either you die or you don't, but you still go on. It's kind of liberating. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you got some of that from your military service? I, I'm grateful for it. Really, like, um, you know, the way I look at it is in some ways, you know, tribal societies, uh, where, you know, where we all came from. You write about this. It's like um, when you're a boy, 
and you and you a turn you when you become a man in the tribe whenever that, and that's early that's not like 1920 that's like what 14 15 16 you're sent out and tested in whatever way the tri- tribes are different things you know across the world but there is this ritual of you're tested and you come back you're a man now in the, in the tribe and i think for me uh boot camp infantry training was that at that age it gave me that and i think it gives a lot of young men that um you know i'm fortunate that you know, because I have a lot of friends in the military who, like, didn't go anywhere beyond that. You know, they spent their, their 20 years and, you know, did a bunch of tours and a lot of lost friends along the way. And now they're back and now they're just retired, but, like, now doing, like, menial jobs, you know. And I think that's a tragedy. Or, like, the ones who come out quickly and do menial jobs. I actually like to mentor. And sometimes, you know, when I can, like, especially the really highly trained guys because it's a tragedy you get these special forces guys who spend like tens of millions training each one and then they come out and they're packing boxes of walmart it's a tragedy right so i love mentoring these guys and showing them what they're capable of in the civilian world it's funny there i was there was a seal i was mentoring and the guy's still an active duty seal he's an e8 like you know i was an e4 you look up to the especially e8 seal like oh my god right like this guy's done stuff and he's telling me he's terrified of the civilian world he's this is the last tour you know, he sent me a text the other day. He's like, yeah, I'm get another plane doing a young man's job. And they're giving instructions in some random communist language. I don't even pay attention anymore. <laughs> you know, off to go, off to go do what I got to do. And, and, you know, that would scare most of us, right? Wherever he's going to do what he's got to do. Yet he's scared of the civilian world, you know, because they, because you have the structured military, you know what you're going to do and you're so good at it. You know, and you're awarded for it. You come out, and there's just nothing. There's no structure. There's a, there's a reason why a lot of fall into addiction and so forth, because you have no purpose. You have purpose when you're in the military. Yeah. That brings me to a, a question there. Mm-hmm. You talked about a rite of passage, and how the military often is that for men. But men and women have historically had rites of passage uh, quite a lot, and they're usually different. Yeah. There's a, you, you mark your entrance into womanhood, you mark your entrance into manhood at, at different ages or at different times in different cultures historically, and we've pretty much edited most of that out of Western society anyway, unless you're doing a military thing or you know there's a few little little pockets of that going on. Do you think it's different? Oh yeah, there's a bar mitzvah as uh, a part of that, and there's a quinceanera. Um, if you have Central American connections, uh, but but generally it's uh, it it's probably less than fifteen twenty percent of people go through it. Um, do you think that it's it's different for men and women? And in fact, even all the advice in your book, like how male centric versus female centric is it? By the way, it's fine to be male centric. It's fine to be female centric. Like there's nothing wrong with being a man. To be really clear, <laughs> but when you read it, like how much of your audience is women versus men? How applicable is this? Funny enough, majority of my audience is women because I write very pure and from the heart. It's your hair. It's That's hair. why. <laughs> well, they don't have get to funnel my hair when they're reading the book. You know, the book's on its own. <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't, I don't market any specials for that one, you know, like <laughs> for the super, for the blacklist crowd. No, it's, it's actually majority of women. And I get emails from like, like 16 year old girls to women in the seventies and like this grandmother who was sending me these great fan emails. I was like, that's amazing that because it's once again, the my Angela thing, you know, the inner, when it, I'm a human being, therefore nothing human is foreign to me. It's the inner work. And I do write it as a man, but I write it very clean and pure as a human being. But you know what's interesting is a lot of men read, uh, will tell me this is the first quote-unquote self-help book they've ever read because they can tell it was written by a man. 
you know, like, like uh, it's not the, I don't have a ponytail. I'm not, you know, playing drums, nothing wrong with that. They're fun, but you know, like, you I'm don't not, have a white I, robe or anything. I don't know white robes, no beads, none of that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny. I can tell you that you would have had to kill me to make me read chicken soup for the soul for throughout most of my life, just because of the name of the book. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, no. And, and like I said, Jack's a good friend. He's only sold 500 million books or something. Uh, and, and I would tell him that to, uh, to his face and he'd laugh at me for it, uh, in a, in a friendly way. But, um, cause I didn't know it was in there. And even though it was written by a guy, um, I likewise, even the font you use, like this is a book that's accessible for men, you know, love yourself. Like your life depends on it. You've at least got life depending on it. So there's an era, an era, a feeling of, a little bit of danger or something like, Oh, like your life depends on it. There's, there's drama in it. So kudos on the title. Yeah. <laughs> how would you tell someone who's 18? How would you tell yourself when you're 18 with all the wisdom you have now? Look, if I could give this in some ways, if I could give this book to myself at 18, you know, 18 year old figure it out. But if you give them a foundation, a basic foundation on their inner self, it's the best gift you can give them. Cause the outer self, the world's going to change. You have to react in all sorts of ways. But if your inner self is taking, is doing well, the outer self will always be him. It's when your inner self is falling apart is when you won't be able to handle the outer self, the outer world. So, so on the inner self, in, in your book, you talk about forgiving the self. So talk about the inner self. First, talk about how do you forgive your inner self? Like, What does your forgiveness process look like? Um, the forgiveness process is this. Uh, well, also, by the way, the entire book is focused on the self. It's not about others. Because when you're doing well yourself, life works better than others. It's really that simple. There's nothing, you know, it's like oxygen mask on yourself first. Well, you, you forgive other people just not, not to tell them that you forgive them, but just so that they stop bothering you. So to me, for, forgiveness is self-work always. Yeah, yeah, you're carrying the weight, let it go, right? But the hardest weight, actually, the funny enough, the hardest thing to forgive is to forgive ourselves because often, for me, the thing I deal with is I should have known better. That one always trips me up. Damn it, Kamal, you knew better. You should have known better. How many times do you have to learn this lesson, Kamal? Or just, you know, like that. Right. That one tripped me up a lot. But in the end, I also have to remember I'm human. You know, we're in the nature of human, like on Wikipedia, which, as you know, is incorrect. But if you go, you look up the word human, it's not going to have, say, the word perfect. Right. So I remind myself of that. And so the forgiveness exercise is a very simple one. I came up with it once. Um, I was driving, I drove on Northern California to a lighthouse in Pescadero, which is like right on, right on Half Moon Bay. This beautiful, just open prairie opal grassland on cliffs overlooking the ocean. And I hiked out to the ocean and had a, had a notebook with me. And I started writing down all that I held against me, just writing it up, just get it out of you. Key, what, key is get it out of you. Cause it's otherwise in the head and just eats you, get it out of you. And then I, and, and, but I was writing and then I started writing, I forgive myself for X. I forgive myself for Y. For every single one of those, I started writing myself, forgive myself, forgive myself for this, for this. And when I finished, I was completely done. It was like I'd vomited on this page, right? And then I read it again and again until I was sick of it and I was done. I'm like, I don't want to carry this weight anymore. I'm done with this weight. So just writing it down did it for you. Writing it out, reading it until I was sick of it, reading it loud. I'm letting it go. I'm getting rid of the weight. You got to be sick of it. You get, and it's very easy. Once you put it out and you start saying, you realize, Jesus, I don't want to carry this. I'm carrying this. I don't want to carry this. And what I did was then I balled it up, went out, and gave it to the ocean. And you know what? You walk lighter. I swear to you. 
setting it, setting on fire is a very traditional way to do that. You write down something you want to let go of, you do your meditation, and you can do it in a candle, you can do it in a mm-hmm. ceremonial fire, whatever you want. But water is an interesting way to get rid of it. It was. I mean, the ocean is such a powerful, yeah. you know, you feel so powerful. You just, you throw it and it's gone. The ocean takes it. It's gone. It's like the ocean like took that. it, the weight's gone. It's, it's no longer yours. And there's little things like this. That, you know, we, we poo-poo, and especially as guys, we poo-poo it. But holy cow, they make a difference. But the key is, you don't just do this and then forget about it and move on, and you're back in your shit show of your mind. Excuse my language, but it is a, often a shit show. you got to work on the mind. Now you've given yourself this gift. Now there's a likeness. What are you going to put in there? You know, you got to be proactive about it. You know, the whole book is about why it is about like your life depends on it is because when I was first doing it, I was so miserable. I was so desperate. I so wanted to be gone that it was like I was doing it like my life depended, which is why I was trying to figure it out because I was trying to save myself. So it was like the metaphor I used at one point was it was like if you're hanging off a cliff with your fingers, you know, the kind of intensity you would put into your into your fingers. If, imagine putting the intensity into loving yourself. What would that be like? It, it's a real powerful thing. I, I truly think a large number of people don't know what it means to love themselves. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's sort of like like telling someone without wings, oh, you should fly. <laughs> They're like, I, I don't really know. <laughs> so how would you tell someone who's like, I don't really know how to do that? Or maybe I'm doing it. I, I, don't, I don't have that connection below. How would you describe That's it? A it's a really question. hard question. That's a great question. That's why I wrote a whole book. I wrote it so – because I want to go into all the nuances. In, the, in fact, the third part, I talk about the lesson where I actually give a full – I write it. This is where I use my writing chops. Um, for, and it's all true. But when I was going through a really hard time and what I was doing in my mind, applying what I just shown you the first two parts of the book and seeing how that affected me. So you can literally see the inner workings of my mind. You know, the editor at HarperCollins is like, wow, no one's ever done this. You know, people are going to copy after that. I was like, great. That's a compliment. Um, so, so I did that not because I want people to see my head. <laughs> it's because it's inside my head. It's, you know, it's a little... You know, everyone's heads a little crazy, but because I wanted to show them like, look, this is what's happening inside. And look, you're not alone. And this is what I did. And this is the results. So hopefully that'll help. But how do you love yourself? If you don't know how to, I also, there's, there's a very simple thing I do that became, it's almost become natural now. Um, I call it the question. It's a very simple question. And it starts with an if, and the if statement is really important because you can't, your mind can't argue against it. Right. It's not that declarative because your mind will argue. So the question is, if I love myself, if I love myself truly and deeply, what would I do? And I ask myself that and when I'm making choices. That's really cool. And I have never seen that in a personal development book. I've, I've seen some peripheral things uh, where, where you have some statements, but never if I love myself truly and deeply. Um, it's almost like a reverse of some EFT stuff, <laughs> even though blah, blah, blah. That's cool. And you came up with that just yeah. out of intuition. I, I started asking myself that when I was like dealing with people when I, was, when I first did it and now I was doing well and I came back out in the world and I was like, okay, I have to shut the company down. I was dealing with some investors pissed off and all that. And so I was dealing with some angry people and their emotions, and I would notice this, I was reacting back. And I was like, wait a minute, I was just feeling so good. I want to feel good. So I just asked myself, if I loved myself, what would I do? And I just started doing it. Well, part of it is you answer, and then you got to do it. All right? You know, if you don't do it, at least now you're, you're making a choice consciously. And when you start doing these conscious choices, you will shift to the better. You just will. We are wired that way. So... That leads us to another 
another question for you, and it's around shame. And you write about this you know, real openly and what, you know, what shame does to people, what ego does to people, how it makes you fail and all. How many times a day or a week do you have the voice of ego saying things about shame in your head today? Shame's interesting, you know? Uh, the stuff that shame that I've dealt with, I mean, obviously there was with a company feeling, but, you know, this, this stuff could run deeper. These emotions that come up disproportionately, uh, you know, run deeper. They come from childhood or whatever, right? Like machine stuff I deal with comes from childhood stuff, right? And I recognize that. I recognize that if I'm feeling too much emotion, negative emotion about something, it's not about what's happening now. It's about something that's, that's, that's coming up, right? So, so you got to go where it is. You got to immediately where it is. And so what I started doing was when I would feel, when I feel something like that, honestly, here's an exercise I come up recently. It's not in the book, but I have exercises like this in the book. But this is thanks to my nephews. Whenever I see my nephews, I always kiss them on the head. I don't know. It's just the Uncle Kamal thing. You know, hey, you're, you're my nephew. Come grab him, pick you up, kiss you on the head. That's Uncle Kamal. Right. So I was actually on a flight a few weeks ago. And I was feeling some, I was feeling that emotion, that shame or something I'd been going through. And you know what I did? I went inside to the child. And all I did was, I saw his head and I kissed his head. I said, no shame, no guilt. You're perfect. That's all. And I felt, I gave the child love. That's all I did. I didn't focus on myself. I went inside and gave the child what I, the kiss on the head, like I kissed my nephews and I loved them, right? I gave my, that child that. And you know what? I did that through the flight. It was a short flight from like, uh, just Northern California, Southern California, quick flight. And by, by the, I just kept doing that through the flight. And by the end of the flight, while we were landing, I felt like someone was doing that to me. I didn't even do that, need to do that to me because I was doing that to the inner child. We're still talking about that voice in your head and, and shame. And I want to ask you something as an investor. Mm-hmm. So if you're competing for a deal in Silicon Valley and say Tim Chang gets it, mm-hmm. He's a dear friend. I love him. I'll be happy if he gets it. <laughs> I do too. I've known Tim for 25 <laughs> years. He's been on the show. <laughs> but like, uh, I was hoping you'd be like, God damn it. Uh, he would usually uh, get I, me in the deal or I'll get him in the deal. Yeah, you guys are going to syndicate. I guess he was a bad example. But yeah, um, someone. He's a, he's a good human. Yeah. But but let, let's say you know, you're know you competing for a deal and you really want it and someone beats you. Mm-hmm. Like what goes through your head? It depends. Um, if, I, if it's an entrepreneur I've helped in the past, I get annoyed. Because I like, I do believe in taking care of people, and I, if they don't reciprocate, it does bother me. Because I'm like, why, why, why be that way? You know, always take care of those who take care of you. That's and it just like cycles on. So I do get annoyed. Um, if it's not someone I've 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 had a that kind of relationship before, eh, it's part of business. It's just part of the game. But you know, that's the great thing about investing, man. You like it's a you build portfolios. You never take, you know, it's like, you don't, um, I remember there was in New York city. I met this big VC when I first I went out there for a little while and he was like, want to know why I stopped being an entrepreneur. I want to be an investor. And I said, well, because I didn't want to work for a living. He got really mad at me, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, look, investing is different than building a company. I mean, he obviously never built a company because he got really took really offense. He's like, Oh, we work hard as VCs where I'm like, you don't spend weekends worried about service crashing, customers calling you, screaming at you. None of that, you know, like, it's not the same. Um, so as an investor, you learn not to take this personally. I get annoyed. And then it's like, you know, it's not worth feeling this way. And I drop it. 
That's one thing I've learned Got it. So with it, all this. It I doesn't affect it. you much. No, no. Okay. What I, There's no Gordon Gecko going on here. No, 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 no. Um, you know, especially the work I've done, the work I do, it allows me to drop, um, which is just something that I've, it happens naturally now. A lot of me to drop negative emotions easily or negative moments because I just, I'm doing my practice. When you're doing your practice, the, the negative stuff goes. You know, you continue doing it like a, like you go to the gym every day, like you're healthy every day. You work in your mind every day. You work in your heart every day. That's it. And so a lot of this, I think I'm a better, much better investor because of it because I don't take it personally. I'm like, ah, oh, it's part of the game. I got annoyed for a while. I dropped it. I, I ask the, the senior executives who work for me um, and certainly for the, the companies where I'm, I'm a meaningful investor. And I'm not a big investor these days. Bulletproof hasn't uh, had an M&A event yet. At that point, I'll be a bigger investor than I am now. But I have enough of a portfolio. Like, look, if I'm going to put real money behind you, you need to do something that lets you be in that state of not taking things personally. Uh, usually, I just send them through uh, my neuroscience program. Um, but it can be any... Any other practice that you want, <laughs> but you know, tell me how you're going to do this because otherwise, something's going to threaten the company, and you're going to take it personally, and then you're going to feel threatened, and then you're going to act in a way that all of us wish you didn't, right? And and it's that it's that chain of events. I know because God, I've I've felt that plenty of times. You know, when when someone tries to ruin your reputation, or you know, there's something that feels like a really big emergency that you'll forget about two years from now. But at the time, it's like end of the world. Um, how do you how do you do that for your portfolio? Like like how do you how do you know that people are going to be able to handle the tough stuff? Do you, do you have a litmus often. test before you write a check? No. Um, no. No, because I just bet on. Can, will this person, my bet is, will this person be able to handle it? Okay, yeah. so th you're going with your gut, basically. You've yeah. learned how to yeah. read someone. and okay. Because Got in it. the end, like, to build something, like, I, you know, I've invested in companies when I was like literally nothing, right? And now it's a multi-billion dollar company. To go from nothing to multi-billion dollar company is a level of challenges. You have no idea what the challenges were. Every, you know, from zero, you know, it's a zero to one million, one set of challenges, one million, 10 million, another set of challenges, 10 to 100 hundred or, you know, like a billion, it's, there's no training for this. You don't go to business school to learn that, right? That's you figure yeah. out. So my bet is, can, will this person figure it out? Will they evolve? Will they be able to, like you said, build the right team around them? The mindset stuff, funny if a lot of them call me, like I've, I've actually walked entrepreneurs off fires, you know, that's my job, you know, to, to be able to look back. Oh, dude. If you're on the board, it's definitely your job, right? Yeah. There's one company <laughs> I really helped with that and, you know, I end up having a really good exit because of it. And so that was kind of fun. Be the guy was able to just like, you know, they were dealing with an unfriendly company with lawsuits and all of that. Just kind of walk them through it and work out. Yeah, the the don't take things personally is uh, is it's always a challenge. But funny enough, if you do the stuff you're talking about, like self forgiveness and the other it things works. in your seven minute meditation practice, then it's a lot easier to do what you're talking about, which yeah. is which is really cool. I wish I'd okay. known this stuff I'm, earlier, okay. man. I would have been a better entrepreneur. I wouldn't have fallen apart, you know, when I, at times when I did, you know, or like when my company, I wonder if I hadn't fallen apart, could I save my company? I don't know. Maybe Probably would have handled it better. You know, if there's, if only we could a B test the situations, right. But, uh, just like having kids, you don't get to do that. Well, it, it's, it's always fascinating to get a chance to, to look inside your brain and I, I probably should mention, in fact, I, I definitely not probably, there's two people I haven't mentioned that I, I ought to mention here. 
One is a uh, special thanks to Joe Polish, who's been on the show, yeah. really powerful episode about addiction. I've been friends with him for many years. He's the one who said, Dave, why, why hasn't, you know, why hasn't Kamal been in, on your show? I'm like, oh, good point. So Joe, thank you, brother. Uh, and yeah. of course, James Altucher has been on, uh, I've been on his show, he's been Love on my him. show and you guys you know, started a, a company together and he helped you get your book out the door. Uh, so we got to give him a shout out as well. Just Love because, that, man. You know, yeah. The community, great, great guy, man. Such, such. In fact, you guys have the same kind of curious mind, as far as I can tell. Just oh, James, James is a work, genius. Is really cool. He's a literal genius. Like, holy cow! I love yeah. just listening to him talk on anything in life. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's he's always fascinating. It, it's cool. Uh, well, what do you think about taking a couple questions from the Upgrade Collective? I love it. All right, hey, this is Todd. Dave. Hey, Todd. Hey, Todd. Hey, I guess the question that I would have is, uh, who is uh, maybe one of your mentors that you actually looked up to or still look up to in uh, in your daily life? I think a lot of my internal values just come from my mom, you know, like um, sing- single mom, you know, raised my brother and I, you know, had an abusive dad and she left his, left our dad and said, look, I'm going to, I'm not going to raise my boys around this, around this as an example. And we were homeless at one point and, you know, raised us on no money really shitty part part of the country um and look my brother and i turned out fine and we both you know very value driven i would say that that's thanks to her um you know what a powerful role model to have um that look whatever it is you're going to get through it you're going to get better you know and you're not going to put up with like something that's shitty so yeah kudos to my kudos to mom That explains your feminine side. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one, man. And I'm probably, yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody does. It's yeah. just a question of size. And I think the the best investors actually have a pretty good balance or at least the ability to switch between the two. Yeah, the intuition. have more you have of the, the yeah. intuition, exactly. Yeah. All right. I think Susan, I'm using my intuition now. Susan has a question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Susan? <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you. Um, Really, really appreciate this discussion and your authenticity, openness, and sharing your journey. So one of the things I started thinking about when we were having this conversation is about storylines. You know, the storylines that we write for ourselves and how those end up creating our lives. So my question for you is how much of your journey was a journey of rewriting your personal stories? Damn, that's a hell of a question. Wow, I'm impressed. Wow, I'm impressed. I mean, I mean look, I'm a huge fan of Joseph Campbell, you know, any writer would be. So, I'm, you know, writing your own personal story arc, right? Uh, I've actually wondered about this because there is there are certain patterns that I seem to replay, you know, which tends to be like go through hardship and have a rebirth and come out with some sort of big gift, you know, for myself and then maybe share that with the world. This book, for example, that is one that I've done it again and again, and I'm actually kind of tired of it. I'm tired of the hardship part, so <laughs> I've kind of like learned to like let go of that. Um, but you know, one really I've actually been thinking about this is like why not. Uh, sit down and, you know, like look at the events in our life and like, we have a narrative arc we've written around those narratives, right? We have like, this was good, this was bad, this was good, this was bad. Usually we define them pretty black and white. 
why not kind of look at my life and create like a beautiful narrative arc for myself using the same events and then be that person as a result of that. It's funny. I've been thinking about that lately, so I don't have an answer for you, but it's an exercise I'm going to try. Well, there you go, Susan. You just, uh, you, you got him to, to, to do that. It's a fascinating question. Uh, and I'm sort of looking at it myself too, going, Hmm, you know, you, you do, uh, you do hear that history is written by the victors. <laughs> right. So internally that must be true as well. Right. Where, okay. The, the story you tell yourself is the one that won, but is there an alternate narrative? Yeah. Because why does it have to be the, the true, why does it have to be the correct uh, story? Because yeah. the story is just um, interpretation of events. So why not take the same events and interpret them differently in a way that empowers you? You go through a hard time and, you know, and you come through it, you know, know yourself as someone who's a, who, you know, like as a hero, as a true, as a superhero, all superheroes deal with that. In, in fact, if you look at the Wizard of Oz, uh, uh -huh. someone came through and wrote it from the perspective of the winged monkeys. Uh, huh. It's a relatively famous book, but it, it's very well written, like the original one. And you read it, and it, like this evil lady came in and disrupted our <laughs> winged monkey life. <laughs> it's, it's totally worth reading just to go, wow, you really can have a different perspective on that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, right, this well, is a this is a great question. Thank you. Well, as a well, I'm going to call you a successful writer of fiction, and me as a, I'm still thinking about fiction, uh, but I have two more nonfiction books on my agenda. First, uh, I'm going to start thinking about uh, alternative narratives for existing things. Dude, right, uh, your writing will go up in s such different levels because fiction makes you stretch. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to do it. It's one of those things where maybe I'll. Uh, I'll finish my CEO ship of, of upgrade labs and get that uh, at the scale of, you know, many hundreds of locations. Uh, and then it's time to, you know, dust off my fiction writing skills that I don't have. I think every writer <laughs> should uh, do one fiction work. Uh, it's yeah. Like, All right. I'm going to take your advice on that and I'll probably ask you to read it before I, would be uh, before I send it I'd to love anyone. It. I'd All love right. It. It's a deal. Well, Kamal, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to peek inside your brain uh, underneath uh, your uh, awesome hair. Um, all the Upgrade Collective ladies have been just constantly <laughs> chatting about your hair this whole time. I want you to know that. Well, thank you very much. I, <laughs> it I was mostly Deborah, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> She's looking at me and going, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I do think it's been uh, fantastic. And also, I, I just truly want to thank you. When you... When you first published the first uh, Love Yourself, Like Your Life Depends on It, uh, it was a while ago when there was less willingness to talk about the stuff that you talk about. And then with all the new stuff you've added in the, the new thing, you were one of the, the first people to say, like, I've lived this and you know, here's all the stuff I had to walk through. So thanks for having the courage to, to step up there and, and just put it out the way you did. I think it really did make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. I think you know that from the way they communicate with you, but you made a difference. So thank you. And thanks for making a difference on the show today. Thank you. This means a lot to me. If you guys liked today's episode, you know what to do. Well, you can always leave a review. And if you haven't taken the time it takes to read, love yourself, like your life depends on it, do it. Right. I, I tell you almost every episode, hey, here's an interesting book. Here's a place to go for more information. Right. So you probably could spend lots of time doing that. Um, there are books that are worth it. And sometimes I'm interviewing an expert on toxic mold. Like, I don't care about toxic mold. Don't read their book. This is a broadly applicable book. Uh, and if you're just full of self love and you don't need that, then don't read it. Otherwise, uh, 
there's a reason that there's uh, almost 6,000 reviews on the book and uh, that has stood the test of time. And I think it really does do that. So if this isn't in your library, it probably ought to be. And if it's just not something that appeals to you, then don't. It's all good because perfectionism is not required. But liking yourself and maybe even loving yourself is probably a good idea. I'll see you guys on the next episode. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.